Welcome back to the Path Design Podcast. We are picking up the study that we're doing right now on the book of Jonah. I titled this message, Compassion in the Belly of the Fish. And we are rolling right into a background about Nineveh. Okay, so all of us can probably envision things that we were told back in Sunday school, different things we heard, saw on the felt board maybe when... Basically, all I remember being told, Nineveh, bad people, bad, horrible, evil people. Jonah, nobody really told me he was bad. He just, like, you know, he just didn't want to do stuff. And uh, so he got eaten by the the whale to punish him, and the whale spit him out, and he declared the word of the Lord, and people were saved and happy. And that's really about where it stops in most cases. We're going to go a little bit deeper in this study. So please get out your Bibles, man. Read along. Let's learn something, right? Let's study. But I see a lot of the church, if you listen to part one, intro, who knows what we'll call it. I see a lot of the church despising God's mercy. They don't seem to like his compassion a whole lot, except for when it's applied to us which is just like Jonah. And I think, I I don't think, I am thoroughly convinced, this is where we started back at the beginning. This is a warning to the church, y'all. I don't want to make this hype or something, say, listen, this is from the book of Jonah warning the church of 2020. I could do that, you know, and I could probably get a million hits if I made it all super spiritual, but may the word of God just speak to whoever's eager to listen. It's sufficient on its own. So we're going to overview Nineveh for a few minutes. Genesis chapter 10, Nineveh pops on there just a tiny bit. It references a man called Asher, A-S-H-U-R. Depending on versions and studies that you do, everybody lands on something different. He's arguably the founder. Other sources that I kind of lean towards suggest Nimrod being the builder. Nimrod, hmm. Tower of Babel, Genesis 10, the exaltation, deification of man. No, uh, Nimrod. I think his name was, uh, his name was mighty warrior and like slash opposer of Yahweh. (laughs) Not good. The Talmud, Josephus, they record that Nimrod likely spearheaded the erecting of the Tower of Babel. So this is kind of what he does. This is what he's about, is establishing national, natural kingdoms of men who are exalted, who are thriving, great, strong, mighty, looked at as the world power, which... Nineveh pretty much was, for in my studies, I found they, they pretty much were the, the largest people group on the earth for a season. Very, very wealthy, affluent, seemingly very, very much flourishing. Either way, much of the Assyrian assault on God's people would have probably come out of Nineveh, its capital. Hezekiah, if you know back where a lot of our journey shifted um, a year and a half ago, was through the, 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 the understanding, the, the teaching, the principles within the story of Hezekiah and what I deemed then the second chance people of God with the Passover reality. 
And, and we, we know through King Hezekiah's life that, that he inherited an Assyrian assault. He was under the heavy hand. We've talked about, man, a year and a half ago, we, even on this program, we talked about the principle of um, tribute, paying tribute. You give them money to leave you alone. You're under their rule, under their reign, under their heavy-handed authority. You appease them to just leave me alone. Please don't hurt us. Here's your money. Leave us alone. This came out of Nineveh for a season. During Sennacherib's reign is what we saw with Hezekiah. Nineveh was known to be very beautiful, very affluent. Arguably one of the largest cities for a while. They were heavily pagan, a lot of idolatry. There was even a fish goddess there, which is, pay attention, insert that for a little bit later. By 3000 BC, this fish goddess kind of morphed and moved into mythology. Ishtar. Sound familiar? Ishtar, boy. Oh, boy. Ishtar, Nimrod, Easter, Easter eggs. Oh, man, we won't even go there. Things never change, people. Things never change. In chapter 3, verse 8, and we're going to go through this more clear in just a minute. We're told that Nineveh was a violent people. And, and this violent is very specific in the word. They were depraved, injurious. If you know anything about the history of Assyria, man, you don't even want to talk about it with children in the room. Violent people. As I taught in that Hezekiah series, I remember back then that like when they came through, they came through your town, nothing's left. I mean nothing. And it was made very clear that they had been there. But this condition, this violent people of Nineveh, it's the same verbiage, this violent, as pre-flood uh, condition of the people of the days of Noah. The earth was filled with violence. It was filled with violence in Genesis chapter 6. Men were violent. And I, have to, I can't move past this because all of this is going to be presented through the lens of today. This is today. This is our present condition. And I can't just move past it. You may wish I would, but friends, I feel a caution to the Christian church, the capital C church, friend, be careful with your violent ambitions. Be careful with your violent motives of retaliation, vengeance, justice, because I'm telling you, we're not going to go there. I'm just going to take 10 seconds. I'm going to move right back on. I promise. We have got to be careful that we don't mishandle or misappropriate or misunderstand that our zeal and our passion to be zealous for God is in any way driven by our fleshly carnality. Especially as men. If it's in women, man, woo, red flags all over the place when I see like violent, manly looking women. But like with men, we have this propensity to what? To respond, to make things right, to take a stand. And I'm not saying that that's wrong as a whole, as a principle. But I'm just saying, man, it takes godly, restrained spirit men to do that correctly. And I look around and, man, I have a hard time finding a place in me. It's like... 
That's a brother that can do that in humility. That's a brother that can do that in self-control. That's a brother that's led by the Spirit. I'm not even concerned that he'd get in his flesh. I haven't found that yet. Concerns me. Why? And this is a whole other teaching. Man, I've got 40 pages written about this that probably will never even land here. It's just too huge. Nobody'd watch it. It'd be 15 parts. We have to be careful with violence. Because the beginning, as in the days of Noah, okay, people were a violent humanity. And in the end of the age, violence increases on the earth. On the earth, man hates another man. Brother against brother. Friends, are you looking out your window? Are you watching news, which I know you probably are? Brother is hating brother at an escalated height. Probably not seen, I can't say ever I've not lived that long, but a long, long time. Division, hatred, and brother against brother. So be careful that you yourself are not a man of violence. Being a man of violence kept David from building the house of the Lord. I'm just saying. I'm not even going to go there. I'd have to go get other volumes of pages written about it to go there. Let's read chapter 1, shall we? I'm going to try to read quickly because I don't want to just take up a whole bunch of time reading text because I don't want to lose you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God is aware of what's going on. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Word of the Lord comes to the prophet of God. Bing! He's out of there. So he went down to Joppa. He found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Why? To get away from the presence of the Lord. Woo! Not good. Well, this, oh man, this guy's not looking good right out of the gate, right? The Lord hurled a great wind at the sea. There was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up, to be broken to pieces. Then the sailors became afraid. Other men are on here. What's going on? They're innocent men in light of this. Every man cried out to who? Yahweh? No. Every man on the boat, other than Jonah, cried out to their God. Little G, little Elohim. They threw the cargo which was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, but Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen asleep. Good job, prophet of God. <laughs> Flee from the presence of the Lord and go take a nap while all the others that are above you as you sleep are in turmoil because of your actions. <laughs> Verse 6, So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up. Do what? Do what we're doing. At least do what we're doing. Isn't that pathetic? The pagan, idolatrous captain of the boat comes to Jonah. says, hey man, we're all crying out to our God up here. Can you not at least get up and do the same thing as we're doing? Oh man, friend. Mmm. That stings. Perhaps your God, they don't know who in the world Jonah is or who his God is. 
Perhaps your Elohim will be concerned about us so that we won't perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let's cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. They've got more. Oh, man. They, oh, this is, this is horrible. They cast lots and lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now. On whose account has this calamity struck us? What in the world is your occupation? Who are you? Where do you come from? What is your country and from what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh God. Adonai, Elohim of Elohims. The one of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Oh yeah, he's my God. Woo boy, that's some... That's some bad news for Yahweh God right now, right? His, his ambassador, his representative. May that not be us, Fred. We got to keep moving. He tells them who he is. Verse 10, then the men became extremely frightened. Okay, they made some connection. Oh, no, not Yahweh God. The Yahweh? Oh, gosh, we're in trouble now. Good job, man. They're extremely frightened and said, How in the world can you do this? The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because Jonah confessed and told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. So it's worsening. It's getting worse and worse and worse with every passing moment. So, he said to them, verse 12, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. The sea will become calm for you. I know that on account, of, on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land. They didn't throw him overboard. Could have. He even asked for them to do that. He didn't. They did not do that. Instead, as they tried to row to land, the men rowed desperately to return, but they couldn't because the sea was getting so bad. They called on the Lord and said, They called on Yahweh Almighty. We earnestly pray, O Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to Yahweh on the boat. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Friends, we could spend hours right here on, on chapter 1. I'm not going to. Don't get nervous. So these vile men, idolatrous men, crying out to their gods, what's going on? Why is this happening? They come to the prophet of Yahweh, wake him up, tell him to call on his God, find out who his God is, and they show Jonah compassion. They show him compassion. The pagan idolatrous men show more compassion for Jonah than the prophet of God Jonah was showing for other men. Interesting, right? 
in verse 14, these sailors, these pagan sailors, cry out to the Lord. Jonah does not. The pagan sailors cry out to Yahweh Elohim, not the prophet of God. He simply says, I fear Adonai. And then what does he do? He tells them to kill him. Jonah's messed up, man. He's got some issues, right? Let's be careful. Do we see ourselves within this type, this man, Jonah? He said, throw me overboard. He, of course, arrogantly, so, arrogantly as he is acting. Instead of throwing himself over, instead of just falling over the side of the boat and killing himself, he has the audacity to say, hey, y'all throw me over. Let it be on your hands and not mine. Unbelievable. They obviously know this. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not taking on this responsibility. So they start crying out to God. Show us mercy. They didn't want innocent blood on their hands. This is, man, I don't even know what all to share and what to leave out. There's so much within this text for us to glean. In 116, the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. That's, that's remarkable, right? It's the thief on the cross reality. A, a desperate place, a desperate condition. Man, I have one hope. I have one hope for deliverance and rescue. It's right here beside me. Whether it was Yeshua on the cross or Yahweh God in a moment upon a tumultuous sea where they're surely destined to die alongside this rebellious prophet who's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. They cry out and they realize, there's one hope for me. One! Yahweh Elohim. So they offer sacrifices to him and they make vows to him. Incredible! Just like that. So what happens immediately next? The Lord appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. And I want to propose something to you that maybe you've heard of before from any other teacher or in your own studies. I don't remember ever being told this before myself. But I started asking the question in some commentaries I read and just some old things I was reading about the, the question, did Jonah die a physical death? Everything I had been taught in my Baptist childhood was like, Basically, the, the timeline of like, you know, here we are on the felt board, and we've got the boat, and we've got a giant whale, and we've got Jonah. And they throw Jonah over, the giant whale jumps up in the air, swallows Jonah whole, swims around for three days and three nights, and Jonah's just in the belly of the fish hanging out, trying to just appropriate himself to life in the belly of a fish. And then the fish spits him out. But what I want to propose is, did, did Jonah descend to the bottom of the sea? Did Jonah descend to the bottom of the sea? Did he go down to the bottom of the sea? Because, And we're going to get to why, we, why I think that that's very possible here in just a minute. Did he die there? 
And can we say that in chapter 1, verse 17, when the Lord appointed, and we're going to get to that word a lot later, when Yahweh God appoints things, when Yahweh God appointed this great fish to swallow Jonah, and this is why I changed the, the, the title of the message, compassion in the belly of the fish. Within the belly of the fish is when the compassion of the Lord was extended to Jonah. Jonah deserved death. Absolutely, he deserved it, right? We have to be able to say that for sure. If we're talking about a right, holy God and how he responds to people who are rebellious and tell him no, hard-hearted, stiff-necked people, we know all the way through the end of the Bible what happens to those, right? This prophet of God who did not want to give a word of the Lord to anyone else deserved it upon himself, right? So I just want to propose the thought of, did, did Jonah descend all the way to the bottom of the sea, as we're going to get to the text in chapter 2, different things he describes, different things that happen. I just want you to chew on it for a minute. Why, well, why does it even matter, Joel? Who cares if he was just sitting there reading a magazine in the belly of the fish, or if he was dead? Well, it matters greatly to me. So I just want to put that out there for you to consider as we fix to move into the next part here in just a couple moments. Could it be that, that, that the judgment of God was not found in the fish? It was his deliverance. It was his goodness. It was his kindness. It was a continual pattern, a component of the pattern that he's trying to get through to this hard-hearted prophet to say, you know what? I am teeming with compassion, Jonah. I am full of mercy. You don't know me, son. I'm full of mercy. And I'm going to show you again and again and again to you, you hard-hearted, stiff-necked one who wants to flee from my presence, that I'm a God of compassion. I'm a God of, of mercy. I desire none to perish, Jonah. And I'm telling you, that's what Yahweh God is saying to his people today. That's what he's saying to you right now, friend, is look at my word and look at the fullness of my attributes the best that you can. Because God has so many attributes, we will never, ever, ever in this natural lifetime be able to dissect them all and understand them rightly. So we have to step back and look at the whole. We have to look at the wholeness of God the best that we can according to the written word of God and see all of the facets of the heart of the Father towards humanity. And he is slow to so many things for our good. Even to Jonah, not just only to the Ninevites, to Jonah himself. This is so clear in this text. Interestingly, while, while the sailors are, are up in the boat and, and Jonah's descending to the depths of the sea, they're making vows and sacrifices to Yahweh, the prophet of God is descending to the bottom of the ocean. Get this imagery, right? Get this imagery through your head, Christian church, about who's doing what here. When, when, the, when the majority of the church wants to elevate themselves to a holy, exalted throne, shooting lightning bolts of God upon humanity, you better get a clear picture of this prophet of God. Descending into the depths of the sea, breathing his last breath in rebellion, running and fleeing from Yahweh, while the pagan, idolatrous sailors have turned, repented, 
and are worshiping the one true God with sacrifices and vows. That's a hard word, friend. That's a hard word, church, that we need to rightly receive and appropriate and say, Oh God, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way right here in me. There is. Perhaps even more ironic, and then we'll bring this part to a close, is that Yahweh uses this weird, twisted event. This is complex, right? A lot of components we won't even have time to get to. He reveals his glory to these men on this boat through this crazy scenario in Jonah's rebellion. Jonah's rebellion and, and um, complete disobedience, even in that, God reveals himself as the Elohim of Elohims to these men in the boat. It's incredible. So may we take some solace in that, even in our messed up condition, even in our screwed up mess that we are in, God's saying, you know what? I'm in control of this entire thing, people. Excuse, an excuse to be obedient? No way. God's going to use it anyway. All my mistakes. All, whoa. We're not looking for excuses, but what, what we are doing is we're looking at facts and saying we will be disobedient. We will screw up your plan, Lord. Please redeem it. Still magnify and glorify your name in the midst of my struggle to be an obedient speaker of your word. It's what we're all doing, right? Have you perfected that? Have you perfected declaring the word of the Lord? Not me. I'm a flawed vessel. But I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to work on it. I want to practice. I want to train myself to rightly receive and speak the word of the Lord to anyone that he might lead me to. So we're going to pick up in chapter 2. Probably try to break this up, each one. Part 1, chapter 1. Part 2, chapter 2. Let's do that, shall we? So we'll call this part 1. Part 2 is going to be coming up. Go to pathdesign.com. There are hours and hours and hours of podcast audio episodes you can listen to. We just hit, I think we hit 4,000 downloads um, this week. Thank you for listening. That's a lot to me, man. I don't need bazillions of people. That'd be awesome, but maybe my pride can't handle it. So let's take it for what it is. Thank you for watching. Please come back for part two. What we're going to talk about is some, some intricacies about what's going on in chapter two. Chapter two of Jonah is incredible about things he's saying, things that are said even in the New Testament, things that are alluded to by Yeshua himself. Right here in this text, man, it's 10 verses. Surely we can take it, right? So come back. We're going to talk about part two of Compassion in the Belly of the Fish.